Welcome to the Learning Hook podcast. Join our team as they explore topics across learning and development, e-learning, media production, and all those creative learning spaces in between. For us, it's the just in time, just enough, and just for you. So let's learn, connect, perform, and do something great. Welcome to the Learning Hook podcast. This is your host, Brendan Carter, creative director and founder of The Learning Hook. Thanks for joining us. In this podcast, I'm joined by Damala Scales-Gosh, our lead learning designer at The Learning Hook, and Clint Clarkson, renowned L&D cartoonist and learning design thought leader. Clint's been tricking adults into enjoying learning since 2001, and he's the founder of eLearning Alchemy. Clint joins us in this podcast to share his cartoons. We'll dissect how we can use the Trojan horse of comedy to connect our learners both motivationally and also more deeply to the topic at hand. If you've seen some of Clint's work, um, particularly his cartoon strips, you'll, you'll understand what we're talking about. We also attempt to brainstorm some new cartoon themes in a comic strip itself. So I guess you can see how we go with that. Look, notably in the podcast, we do discuss some specific cartoons, which are highly visual. So I hope you can see them from where you're listening from. We reference them a bit in the talk. So I encourage you to get on Podbean. That's where you can access this podcast. You can access this podcast from our blog. Both those sites have the images. If you're on iTunes, though, I don't think we can get the images up there. There is a link, however, on iTunes back to those websites. So have a look in the, I think it's on the left of the player. That's it for the intro. I do hope you enjoy this podcast as much as Damala and I enjoyed chatting with Clint. If you have any questions, queries or comments, even a quagmire, please leave them on our blog or get in contact through our website. Enjoy the show. Well, Clint, welcome to the podcast. We've really been excited to, um, to chat with you and, and really learn more about, you know, I guess the work that you do particularly with the L&D scene, cartoon strips and the wider work that you do within the L&D community. So welcome. Thanks very much for having me. And, and I guess, um, look, from the accent and from our accent, we're in different parts of the world. I guess, uh, can you tell us a little bit about where, where you're at, mate, it, both physically and, uh, and perhaps ha- how you got to the work that you're doing at the moment? It might be a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So right now I'm located in Calgary, Alberta, right near the Canadian portion of the Rocky Mountains in North America. And I moved here in 2005 to chase the dream of becoming a professional darts player. That didn't pan out. I did quite well. I played in the World Cup and a couple of World Masters, but I would have had to move to the UK or over to Europe to have a chance to to do it professionally. But I started out my journey actually in Victoria, BC, on the west coast of Canada, uh, on Vancouver Island. And that's where I, I got my start in learning and development and then eventually moved over, to, moved over to Calgary, obviously. And when I moved over to Calgary, I actually stepped out of learning and development for a short period of time. I, I got a job with an airline so that I could fly around and play darts. I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's what I actually did. And, and that's actually where I wound up getting back into learning and development at that time. I had interviewed for a trainer's position at uh, an airline, WestJet, which is sort of a Canadian success story. We're really proud of WestJet here. They're based in Calgary and had an interview for a trainer's position and got told that by the manager in there that she didn't think that I really wanted to be a trainer and that I really wanted to be an instructional designer. Mm. I I didn't really understand what that meant. And serendipitously, I, I happened to make a sales training PowerPoint for the call center that I was, I was working in at the airline. 
And that managed to make its way to the manager of instructional design, which got me a term position in the uh, L&D team uh, within, uh, within WestJet. And that was my, my first experience feeling like I had no idea what I was talking about anymore. So I, I got into learning and development quite a few years earlier while working with a collection agency, but I didn't have any mentors. There weren't any, any other people inside the organization that really knew what, what training was or what learning and development was. And, and as a result, I could just do whatever I wanted and nobody was any of the wiser. Uh, but when I wound up at WestJet, I wound up working with uh, a little bit with an instructional de- designer named Sharon Doyle, who is this just incredible instructional designer, just marvelous at what she does. And I didn't get to work with her a lot, but it was very quickly evident that she knew a lot more than I did. I sort of thought of instructional design as being this, this little box that I needed to stick my hand in and, and mess around a little bit and just figure it out. And when I opened up that box, or when Sharon opened up that box, I realized there was a warehouse behind it full of boxes of stuff that I needed to dig around in and, and learn about. And I'm still digging around in and learning about. Um, but that's that's sort of my 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 story. I started in a collection agency, wound up in an airline because I wanted to play darts, and it was it was at that point that I realized I needed to do a lot more studying and a lot more learning, and sort of went down that rabbit hole of committing myself to a career in learning and development. So throughout that, Clint, I've been wanting to say you you really hit the bullseye, mate. Um, <laughs> nice, because we we do love your work and your insights, and even just in what you just. Your background there, Clint, I love it, mate, because we kind of see your story in a way through the Alan DC comic strips. There was one in particular, Damala and I were looking through the strips, Clint, before this chat, obviously, and, and you know, wanting to have a look at a couple that we could talk about. But And one of them that didn't make the cut, but perhaps is insightful, was one about where how instructional designers, learning designers, learning experience designers, whatever you want to call it today, um, sort of get into these roles. And there was, I don't know if you recall the strip, but you wrote one about sort of all these sort of weird choices of, um, you know, people that, that drop in and, and how, how they get chosen sometimes to be. Yeah, I, I don't remember what number it was. It's called Ori- Origin Stories, Instructional Designers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, great. And then and the very last one is the master's degree in instructional design applying for a job at a call centre because they can't find yeah. it. It's one of those jobs that kind of chooses the person in a way rather than the other way around, often. Yeah. If you do an update, Clint, can you add in one there where there's a dart player <laughs> travelling around, working, I guess? Working for an airline. <laughs> right. <laughs> Boxes with toolkits in them. Those that are listening, if you're not aware of Clint's work in the comic strip series that he does, it's one of, I think, the only kind of social commentary, such strong social commentary on the Allen D scene. And that's the name of the comic strips too, is the Allen D scene. Yeah, I guess it's certainly for anyone working in this space, I I think it's always, it's great to see that commentary and recognise the, I guess, the problems that come up. So anyway, I wanted to say, recommend you have a look at those. And in in working at that, Clint, what led you to actually sort of really running with those comic strips? That's a good question. Uh, They started out sort of like a social media campaign. Yeah, and and the original plan was just to make five comics, post them once a week, and then be done with it after five weeks. And and the initial response to them was was really underwhelming. And they do take a fair bit of work to put together. So at, once I reached the fifth comic, I, I thought to myself, I'm done. Like this this is the end of it. It's too much effort. There's not enough return on it. And it was that fifth comic that went out, which is actually about instructional designers, no less, and how nobody understands what we do. Mm. And that comic 
got a few really good responses. And I, I actually got three private messages on LinkedIn from people saying, mm. this is really great, write some more. And, and that was the impetus to keep them going. And so the, the comics themselves, you know, the, to keep them going, the reason for keeping them going is, is really two different things. Uh, one is that social media angle. Uh, they're incredibly visual. They grab a person's attention on LinkedIn or in, in a Twitter feed, uh, and no text is required. And it, it can be difficult with text. Text is difficult to really capture somebody's attention. with. So from a visual perspective, they're really valuable. Uh, and, and then they're not a blog. Uh, I saw blogging as being extremely challenging. Uh, there's tremendous saturation for blogs. Why, and, and why would someone read my blog versus uh, Bob mm. Mosher or Carl Kopp or, or Josh Barrison? You know, these guys have been around for a long time. They really know what they're talking about. So it was, it was to do something different. And then uh, the second reason for them really is the medium of the comic in general. It's a humor play, if you will, because humor is such a, a powerful tool particularly when you're trying to go through tough topics or pull people into a topic that they maybe don't want to discuss. And in that way, really, uh, they act as a gateway. The way that most of the posts go after, after they've been posted, the responses that they get is the initial responses are something like, uh, LOL, I'm laughing and crying at the same mm. time. This is my life. Do you have a camera in my <laughs> office? Things of that nature, which means I've hit the right spot. And it, re it resonates with people from a humor perspective. What eventually happens, usually fairly quickly, is somebody comes in with a much harder hitting post. They mm. will either disagree with the context or the premise of the comic. Uh, they'll propose a solution to the type of situation that's being discussed, or they'll pose some other kind of advice or objection to, it, to what's being discussed. And so it really uh, becomes an entrance point into something more meaningful than just having a laugh. And as learning professionals, I think we should always be looking for those opportunities. Uh, as Gagne would say, to gain the learner's attention, to, mm. to get an entrance point into the learner's minds. And not that I'm, I'm necessarily trying to treat these as learners, but I am trying to create a conversation and have good conversations whether you look at that for the L&D community at large or just for myself, I learn a lot from them by posting them. What a great summary, Clint. I couldn't agree more. But yeah, from, from our perspective, we're, we're often, you know, our brand is the learning hook, but more, much more than a brand, it's something that we always talk about. That's how the actual name came about. Hmm. Um, and it's those learning hooks, particularly from that sort of upfront engagement point of view and getting, um, I think what you were saying then for me really resonates as cut through. It's really quick. And, and the way you sort of, yeah, looked at blogs, it's such a good point because comic strips, you, you kind of have to refine your ideas and cut to the chase very quickly. And as a result, they have that real cut through. And then the blog itself is kind of the chat afterwards with everybody contributing to the chat. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the community creates the blog around it. It really ties in with your, your sort of line tricking adults into enjoying learning. So that idea <laughs> provides some kind of stimulus. And I was, I was kind of thinking of this, this approach to humour and learning as it's almost like the Trojan horse, but in a positive way. So you're kind of getting in under people's skin or defences where they're so, we're so saturated with so much content all the time. But a little six-panel comic is just so much fun. It's so easily, easy to just stop and, and check out and read and have a laugh. And really, it actually does get you thinking because they're so they're so pointy they are really like we're always having a good laugh over them i, I talked to a lot of pe other people about it. have you seen this one it's 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 just awesome great stimulus material and that's so and, and talking about that you know before this chat clint we were you know really looking at sort of a lot of themes that are in your strips and you know and, and we sort of 
we actually discuss sort of, oh, well, how do, how do clients feel? Um, you know, whether they be internal stakeholders within an organisation or if you're a e-learning vendor or a learning vendor in some regard, you know, how do your clients feel about it? And, and thinking through that, you know, has anybody come back and said, is that me? <laughs> is, <laughs> is this trip about that thing that happened, you know, a month ago? You know, you know that's it's funny. That has actually happened once. Yeah, uh, I, I got a, a suggestion for a comic. Uh, we, we were doing some work with Stanford University, the medical division, mm-hmm. and th- they gave me an idea for a comic. This happens all the time, they said. So it was, it's no, I can't remember the exact title. I think it's back to version one. It's number 13. And it's about how you go through your series of stakeholders and they each give input. And by the time you get to the last person, they undo all of the other input and things, the work yeah. that you've been doing along the way. And uh, we actually had a state, I had a stakeholder and they, they were okay with it. They were joking about it. They, they actually asked, is this about us? I, no, no, it wasn't at all honest. <laughs> you bring up a really good point and something that I try to pay attention to as I'm, as I'm writing the comics. I can't always get it right, but it is something I think a lot about is that there's, there's a lot of different perspectives as you look at each of these. And really almost every single one of the comics could be rewritten from the business perspective or from the mm. functional leader perspective, from the stakeholder group perspective, from the learner perspective. Now, generally, I'm looking at it from the trainer instructional designer perspective, and that's where that's the, the, point. the touch point is. But really, you could reposition almost all of them to explain what's happening in other people's minds. And even, even one of the ones that, that you mentioned uh, or wanted to go through here today has that really baked into it. Um, and it's not something that comes up as often in the commentary, uh, but it, it usually will at some point. Someone will come in and go, hold on a second, there's another perspective here. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely, Clint. Uh, before we get into talking about the, the two ones we've picked out today, I just wanted to know, have you always drawn? Has this been something you've always done, like drawn comics, or did you just one day go, this is something that I'd like to do and I'm just going to start doing it and sort of learn as I go? So I'm going to give you two answers to that question. Uh, the first is, yes, I've, I've always drawn. It's been something that I've done since I was a little kid. And then in high school, I got into drawing um, super realistic graphite photos, like black and white photographs with pencil. Um, so that's it's, it's sort of a passion of mine. I, I don't get to do it very much just because it takes a long time. Um, and then the second piece of that is with the comics themselves. I write the stories. I actually have another artist do the work. Ah. So, I had started out, I actually drew the first one and it took me so long that I realized immediately that I could not get through all five of them and post them as I wanted to. Uh, So I enlisted the help of uh, another artist and he actually does all of the work of drawing out. I write the stories, he draws the characters. Brilliant. Sounds good. I I couldn't help but have a look at the first one as you're speaking then, Clint. I I had it prepared earlier. uh, He he redrew it. And um, the whole style's there, though, um, yeah, it, from the later ones. Yeah, they've, they've really carried it on well. It's, uh, I'm really happy with it. I actually, if you look at the early comics versus the later comics, uh, he's evolved his style even in the drawing. And yes. I, I think they come out much better now than even they did at the start. Yeah, absolutely. And are you in the comics, Clint? Who, what character is you? Or is there I'm, not? The, the the primary trainer is originally based on me. Yeah. And, the, and that very first scene is based on me. That's a, that was a real life experience that I had. Yeah. And, and so it, it just sort of evolved from there. 
No, brilliant. Well, maybe we should jump in and have a look at a couple of comic strips and see what conversation comes out of it. We did have a couple prepared, Clint, and for those listening, these are available on our blog and we'll post them on Podbean as well. So, yeah, it'll be easier probably to understand the conversation if you're looking at the picture. The first one is Alan D. Scene 41, e-learning trends for... 2015 crossed out, 16, 17 crossed out, 2018. Have you got that one there, Clint? Absolutely. Can you talk us through the inspiration for this one, mate? Well, I I mean, the the inspiration for this one is pretty simple. It was uh, a situation where it was... I was, I was writing it actually in December and looking at, at some blogs online and the types of things that, that sort of would be coming up. And I stumbled across, I actually think I stumbled across a 2016 e-learning trends article. Mm. Inevitably, um, that sort of leads to, oh, let's look at some e-learning trends from other years. And they, they were all, I mean, from blog to blog, they were different, but essentially they kept talking about the same things. And as the 2018 blogs of trends to watch came out, they were the exact same things again. And and they're highlighted in the individual sections, you know, things around micro learning, gamification, mobile learning. Mm. Uh, these, are, these are topics that keep coming up year over year over year as trends. Uh, and, and I kind of wonder at what point do they, do they stop being trends and be, either get thrown out or become just part of what we do. Mm. Yeah, I really, this one really resonated me with me, Clint, because I, I feel the same at the start of every year. I go, oh, here we go. Friends <laughs> 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 for 20, whatever we are. <laughs> and, and I guess, yeah, I, um, so I'm a culprit, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wrote one at the start of 2018 and I, I, I've got to do a blog. I'd like to write a blog, you know, oh, I should do one of those. What do I think? What do I really think? And, and I thought too, Clint, there's so much of that is I thought, well, what about content trends as opposed to so much tech or or buzzwords Mm, even and and not to put those we've got to call things a name but I yeah so I did it on content Mm. I thought I think it was mental health and we've seen that massively yeah um that one's kind of come true I think I said induction and and that's not a trend I I just said I just think it's going to keep happening yeah (laughs) because we've always businesses and people or or businesses are always reinventing themselves and then to induct people and and a range of others Mm. but yeah it is a struggle and there's so there's a there's so many of them and they're very similar yeah it was a twist on the usual kind of forecasting god mobile learning how long have we been talking about that i know it's funny though because even though we're all a little bit tired of it and get a bit cynical because as you say it's the same things being talked about every year for years you still can't help but have a look in case there's something you feel like you're going to miss out on. <laughs> like yeah. somebody's got some, well, some kind of new idea. Definitely. And, and I think that's, that is the impetus or the reason to read blogs by people that are outside of the normal set. Uh, there's there's a, a learning experience designer, she calls herself, from uh, Seattle. She works with Amazon. Her name is Melissa Milloway. I hope I pronounced it right, Melissa. Oh, yeah. And, um, uh, and and she's fantastic. And she's constantly coming up with sort of a spin on the regular topics and is putting it in a different way. Now, she's she's creating a name for herself because she is online a lot and she's doing some really great work. But the name that she's making for herself is that, that she's coming up with unique ideas or a different spin on ideas, and which, which is fantastic. Um, when I look at these e-learning trends or learning trends, whatever they are, and, and year over year, they're the same, it really raises a whole bunch of questions for me. Uh, you know, like, do we lack innovation? Are we, mm. are, sh- should we be moving on? Um, 
did we did we land on these ideas too soon? Because the, does the tech just need to catch up so that they become mm. more valuable? Um, are we are vendors controlling our thoughts? Mm. <laughs> you, you look at each of the topics that are in this. Um, we've got micro learning, AR, VR, gamification, interactive video, mobile learning, social learning. There are vendors that provide all of those items exclusively. Like that, that is their strategic plan is to pursue one of these specific topics. Mm. Um, or are we are are we just suckers for buzz? Are we just so desperate to try and try anything because we're not getting the results that we want to be getting, uh, that we're, we're willing to attach on to things that um, maybe are or maybe aren't really the right solutions for, within our own organizations? And I, I think it, when you see that, it, it raises more questions, I think, than, than answers. Yeah, it brings up something for me, actually. Sometimes there's quite a big lag between our aspirations and then the realities on the ground. So mm -hmm. what, where we want to head with design and what we think is going to be the best solution and then what the practi practicalities kind of dictate for any mm. given kind of job. Maybe um, the AR and VR yeah, strip there sums yeah. that up a little bit. It's, you know, exactly. the, the, the characters saying, you know, it's still, it's still really expensive to build, but the headsets are cheap. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've been down. Well, we, yeah, we, we've seen that actually sort of yeah the the reality of mm. rolling out a full vr solution yeah. is yeah that it, it's actually well the headsets are reasonably cheap but even just the reality of going how do we get them to everybody mm. um and how do people actually experience it at the same time and what do you do with it it's um yeah so you've got one to add for next year i think clint what's that ai, AI and chatbots for lnd oh, right be all the crazy <laughs> right now <laughs> right, and, and you know, it, it's. I was at a conference recently where both of the keynote speakers were were talking about AI, and not that there aren't applications for AI in learning and development, but when you get an audience of instructional designers and trainers and L and D managers, and then have them start talking about AI, none of them have the skill set to actually implement AI. Like mm. it, it, it's so far down the road for your average L&D team that having that at a conference may be, may be buzzy, maybe trendy, but you're not actually giving people the value that they need. Like we need to figure out how to use interactive video more effectively. Yeah. Your average L&D department, that's what they need to figure out. Or, or how does micro learning fit in? What does micro learning actually even look like? Because there's a lot of different opinions on that. Uh, I think there's, there's simpler questions that we need to answer before we can we can start going down those roads. Yeah, it, these trends, it's, it, well, it reminds me of the Gartner hype cycle just with technology mm. itself as you have this massive hype for the technology and it, it does take, there's quite a lag before it starts being picked up in mainstream. Um, yeah, and a lot of uh, a lot of failures along the way, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I love that first one and I, I think it actually relates the micro-learning um, strip that you wrote there where the lady's saying just chop the learning into pieces and increase retention um completed this course in under three minutes yeah <laughs> it's what happens when someone brings out a course in two minutes oh. is that going to be more effective <laughs> there's a i think it's in is it is it zoolander or ah oh, no it's not something about mary i think there's a scene in there where a guy's in a car with a axe murderer and the ex-murderer has this idea for the uh, AB 2000 and the character says, well, what about the AB, you know, 1000? He goes, no, well, this is the 2000 and, and that one only gets your abs right in six minutes. This one does it in five. 
<laughs> we, we need to we need to find the YouTube clip for that and put it in the blog. Yeah, notes. we yeah, should. I, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. I it's a great what movie. Yes. And yeah. he goes, well, what about when someone brings out that does it in four minutes? And he goes, don't be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I will. We'll, we'll, we'll put that you you can't do that. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. I want to I I build on an additional thought on, onto this topic, if it's okay. Mm. And, you know, I, I mentioned there's a lot of different questions that come, come out of it. Um, my, my personal perspective on this one is that when I sit down with a client, we often talk about... Uh, quality versus production value. And we, we'll have a client say something along the lines of, we, just, we want it to be really cutting edge. We want it to be, um, we want it to live on for at least the next five years. We want it to still be relevant and things of that nature. And, and one of the, the tools that I use to have that discussion is, I, you know, I'll just draw on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard is an X, Y axis over top of each other. And on the X axis is that production value. Um, building AR versus VR is a lot further to the right on difficulty for production value than something like gamification or micro learning is. And so, uh, you know, along that production value, you've got different different types of of, of ed tech that that can fit there. Mm. And on the Y axis is the quality, and that's mm. the axis that I think people forget about a lot. They hear, "I'm going to get AR VR, I'm going to get gamification, I'm going to get micro learning." So that means it's going to be good, and that's just not true. You can create all of those things and do a really bad job at all of them. Mm. Just the same as you can create all of them and you can do a really great job at them. And so in my mind, it's okay to build the, uh, the next page turner e-learning in certain situations. But if you're going to do that, you need to do it well. Mm. If it's a compliance training that is really just about getting the check mark inside the organization because they legally have to do it, that next, next, next is okay if you can prove that everyone's done it that doesn't mean you do a really bad job at it. And then the same thing with AR and VR, you may get AR and VR and think that that's going to be the cutting edge, but if it's really poor quality or really poorly done, you would have been better off with, with just a regular e-learning course. And it, so that x-axis gets talked about a lot. That's what this, this whole scene is. It's different pieces along that x-axis, but it's that quality axis that runs vertically that, that I think often gets overlooked when we start talking about each of these things because hmm. AR, VR, there's a whole gamut of, of quality. Micro learning is a whole gamut of, qual of different quality levels. And hmm. that's more, I think, where our discussion in L&D needs to shift towards as opposed to what's new, what's next. I think, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. I, 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 I use an analogy for something similar, Clint, um, as amplification that, you know, the technology choices or multimedia is just an amplifier. And when you amplify bad music, it gets a whole lot worse to be polite. <laughs> and if you amplify good music, you've got a party, right? So getting the, the music being our content, the mm. learning design, understanding mm. what the true performance gap is, mm. um, you know, whether it needs learning um, or training, you know, as a result, or do we just need a job aid? Um, and I know you, you, you've actually written about or, or done uh, – created some strips around that sort of theme, I think, Clint, um, more recently. I, I just quickly on that, actually, do you have themes that you find you run with, with, with the comic strips? Like, will you be doing a series of them, you find, like just sort of that hot thing in your own mind and you go, well, I'm finding a theme in that. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a good question. It sort of gets into the, the overall design process mm. and it, it's gotten easier over time. It started out very topical. Mm. So I would pick, I would make a list of topics and then try to come up with comic scenes that match that topic. 
And as this has become more and more part of what I do and, and, a, and a regular process that I go through is I've started to, I've got an ideas word document that I just sort of write things down as I'm reading blogs or in some of our local magazines or in discussions. And, and I keep track of those things. But what shifted is, well, it was topical before, such as I'm going to write a course on micro or write, write a course, write a comic on micro learning. Now it's more scenario based and or punchline based. So either there's a scenario that exists and I can imagine that in my mind that I need to come up with the punchline at the end, or I've got the punchline or somebody provides the punchline and I have to figure out how to make the scenario feed into it, um, and which, which is a lot easier than just saying, okay, let's write a comic on micro mm. Um So that I, I really thought, I thought after five I was done and I was certain after 10 that there, there was nothing else I could write because <laughs> it was topical. You know, okay. I've, wrote, I've written a comic called Gamification. I'm done with gamification. Yeah. Uh, but then as you start thinking of different scenarios and different punchlines, you're like, oh, actually, I can write more comics on gamification uh, if, if I've got the right content to go along with it. So, um, yeah, it, it shifts from topical to being more scenario or punchline based. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, what scene are you up to now, Clint? Uh, I just this week posted 84. Wow. And this is just over a two-year period or so, isn't it? I think the first was the first one up in 2016, is that right? Yeah, November, November 2016. Yeah, so it's coming up to two years and yeah. a lot of comics. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty happy with it. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, lots of great ideas from L&D communities, which has made it a, a lot easier for me. But yeah, uh, I appreciate the kudos. Thanks very much. That's brilliant. Uh, so if we go to our second comic strip now that we were sharing, it's L&D scene 37, train them like goldfish. <laughs> There's a lot in this one, and I think it links to the previous one too with the micro learning and um, yeah. you know, just chopping things into small pieces and thinking that it's going to be more effective. I, I love the uh, the manager in this, Clinton, and all managers have moustaches and... <laughs> Bit of a and George Costanza hair. Not, top. Much, not much hair on top, yeah. <laughs> I love him saying, you know, sharing his wealth of knowledge that uh, our attention spans only nine seconds. It's less than a goldfish. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's sort of, this was actually driven out of some work I was doing with uh, ATD here in, in North America. And I was creating an infographic for them for a, a session that they, that they had held. And I had put on the goldfish stat. The, um, the mm. attention spans are now less than a goldfish, which is nine seconds. But I hadn't put it on like that. I, I posed it as a question sort of in a cheeky sort of manner. And they just went, no, we need to stay away from that completely. Uh, there's, we, we do not want to propagate, accidentally propagate statistics whether whether in reality or by interpretation that are, that are inaccurate. And, and I thought about that one, all right. There's definitely a comic here, something about nine seconds. Yes. And, and so that's, that, that's where the, this, this whole concept comes from. Um, and it's, this is, I, I mentioned earlier about how these come from different angles. And really this is looking at sort of the ridiculousness of some statistics mm. and, and the fact that we don't do enough work verifying them. And with, with social media, this whole, our attention span is less than a goldish mm. thing, completely misinterpreted as far as how that study was actually executed. Mm. and what it actually meant and then the hypothesis that came out of it wasn't even necessarily accurate you know it's it's, it's really about us on the internet and how quickly we make decisions about looking at or not looking at something but that's not we can't 
hold our attention, that we're making a decision to shift our attention. We're we're very good at uh, curating our own content or recognizing what isn't good content anymore. And and that's certainly something we should consider as trainers, but it doesn't mean that people can only pay attention for nine seconds. Otherwise, the movie industry would be completely out of business. Yeah. But yeah, it's so true, Clinton. I know this one when I was reflecting on this comic strip and um, I I guess it is, you know, this one is about the statistics we use and and sort of pitch our wagon onto. We've got to be pretty careful with that research and I guess it it also reminded me, and I've seen a trend, it it reminded me of your other, the strip we were just looking at with uh, training, you know, and particularly online type of training getting shorter and shorter and and what's that based on I've had experience quite frequently lately of our clients sort of you know requesting that something must only be I feel like I'm in a strip Mm. um, must only be (laughs) five minutes you know and we're looking at potentially an older course that we're looking at trying to bring online as an example you know that's three hours long the conversations, mm. are, are, yeah, it, it's hard to get to that, to a, certainly to a solution. We can't recommend it if something takes longer than five minutes. It takes longer than five minutes, you know. Of course, we can chunk it and, 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 and create shorter bites, but it um, doesn't mean the training's just five minutes. Yeah, yeah. That, that approach is often let's just point them out to resources, which is a good, a good mm. approach, but it also, I mean, it does throw up a lot of design questions around what kind of journey we're taking people on and how much if we bitsify things and break things down into mm. tiny, tiny bits, mm. is there any coherence in that? in that learning experience. So, but yeah, I love, I love the punchline in this. Well, I spent less than nine seconds researching attention spans. <laughs> that, kind of, that sort of sums it up too, doesn't it? How we kind of does. Uh, do a Google search and then kind of click on the first few links and then it, it's like, okay, I've, I've sorted that right. out. Definitely. Yeah. We, I saw a headline and it answered my question, so I'm not going to dig any deeper. Yeah. <laughs> It also gets into this idea of how we let people outside L&D, um, usually with authority, influence our decisions. Mm. And so this, this happens quite regularly where we, we have, uh, you know, whether it's a CEO or a CFO or a manager from the, the functional team asking us to do something very specific, providing the solution for us or giving us the parameters of, of that solution before we can actually get into what are the actual learning or performance objectives. And, and so we're, we're, you know, cart before the horse in that situation. And, and a lot of L&D professionals, particularly those that are earlier on in their careers or are lower in the hierarchy structure, tend to really struggle with that because they don't feel like they can use their expertise and push back or don't have the confidence to do that. And so you know, a, lot of, a lot of what comes out of L&D that isn't good is the result of having a decision made by somebody outside L&D. And it's, it's a really difficult dichotomy to work through if, if you're new to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, Clint, have you ever thought of uh, releasing a book of your strips, or have you? The, uh, the book is in progress. <laughs> so there's and – I, and I say Fantastic. book, uh, it, it's actually turned into two different books. So I, I had submitted a, uh, a, a sample chapter to ATD. They had requested a, sa- a sample chapter. I had sent that in, and then they came back and said – this actually isn't what we were looking for. Um, and so they've asked for something different. And I said, well, I've already started that one. I want to keep it going. Uh, so there's, there's a couple of different things happening right now. If you're looking online, uh, comics six, uh, 60 through 79, you can't see them because they're, they're, those ones are actually reserved for the book. So those ones are, oh. are hidden away. Great. Yeah. 
Oh, that's exciting, mate. I, I can imagine. Um, yeah, look, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be buying one, but um, you know, I can imagine that uh, you know DevLearn and and different conferences. Those that that book will um, yeah be a hot topic. I hope so. Otherwise, it'll just be you and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was. I, I love this story. There was a guy, and I think he was in America. He uh, wrote one book. And he couldn't sell it, so he self-published. And he created the mm-hmm. one book bookshop, oh. and filled it completely with his book. <laughs> and that became a tourist attraction, and it became a bestseller. <laughs> but he wrote a second book. And what happened to the? <laughs> he, book? he bought the shop next door, and he created the second book bookshop. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. When you're on a good thing. Yeah. Just just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, a bit of trivia. Um, And and the book industry has changed a lot for for publishers, right? Um, ATD obviously reached out to me. I'm I'm hopeful that both of these books will get approved by them. Uh, But but self-publishing allows any publisher now to offer, to to write a book, publish it through their... their system. It's all print on demand. So you order a book, it gets printed when it gets ordered and, and, and it gets sold through Amazon and these other book, big online, online sellers. Uh, Tim Slade, um, I think he's out of Phoenix, just released his second book, I believe, um, in that fashion. So there's, it's changed that way. And that, that people that are wanting to just get a start can really do that through that sort of medium. Yeah, That's it's fantastic. It is, well yeah, and and prints really on the way up. The um, uh, nothing wrong with eBooks and your Kindles of the world, but um, I know print, yeah, is, is uh, what for now. I'm gonna, I won't say the stat because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> but I thought I read, um, yeah, that print print last year outsold eBooks. Yeah, whether that was from a financial wow. point of view or from a numbers point of view, but prints prints hot again, like uh, vinyl records. Hey, that's a trend um, for next year, 2019, yeah. e-learning yeah. trend. Right. Books. Yeah. Books. Books are the trend. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and that self-publishing is really exciting. It, um, I know a, a group I worked with and it was all about writing a book. Mm. Um, they called it the thud factor. Yeah. Um, and talking from an authority point of view, I guess, that it, it's pretty cool if you really do a great job of mapping all your ideas and putting it to print because when you give that to somebody, it's the thud factor. Mm. You're a published author. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to a published ebook author, it's well, quite different. And yeah, I, that, and that doesn't that actually doesn't surprise me because I, I have Kindle books, I have ebooks, I have audio books for when, for when I'm traveling, but I still prefer to have a hard copy book. And and I often think to myself, it's just because. I'm getting older, um, but but there, there's a couple of things about books. One is the tangibility, the smell of a book, the the feel of a book. There's there's something nice about that, and not having a screen glaring in your face if you're reading at night. Uh, but but more so than that is if you speed read or if you read quickly at all, uh, you reach a speed with the screen where you can't go any faster, where it just mm-hmm. it starts to get shaky. Um, so it actually you're you're able to read more quickly, particularly if you're a fast reader on a hard copy book. And so for mm-hmm. myself, that's one of the reasons I find I'm. I'm quite, I read much slower when I'm on a screen. Yeah, it makes this, sense. Clint, this, mm. this ties into your point um, for the first trip we were talking about, about how quality writing and, and good learning design delivered in a low fidelity way, which is a, a book is really, yeah. it's, it's just text. It's um, a great page piece of paper, yeah. is still a really awesome experience as a learner and, and, and as a consumer. Um, so, yeah. That really kind of ties in. Yeah, I agree. It, well, it absolutely I love, I love does. Too. And it also ties in with your other strip 
about the different learning styles, which just made me crack up completely. The nasal learning. <laughs> this is what customer service smells like. Yeah, there's a character <laughs> smelling something. I don't know what he's smelling, but he's called the nasal learning theory. This is, this right. is what good customer service <laughs> So this is what good learning smells like. It smells like a book. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so we thought we could, I don't, we, we do have a little bit of time and I, we thought we could try a challenge. I guess we'll see where this leads, Clint. And this was a challenge to create a concept maybe for a new strip. And, and Damala said that she might have a crack at doing a strip and posting it on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to lead the way in the LinkedIn, LinkedIn challenge. I might be the only one, <laughs> but, you know, I don't mind. It's a great way to synthesise ideas. Yeah, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm sort yeah. of a, a person who likes to kind of learn by doing and, and I do like a bit of drawing, you know, low fidelity drawing. So we, we did come up with a couple of ideas, Clint, but we haven't thought in great detail about it because we thought if this is a challenge, we'll do it live. Okay. Um, so we can share those ideas with you and, you know, what could happen out of this is that Clint's already covered these. <laughs> in other strips out of the many that you've done. He probably has. <laughs> we, had, we had two things that I guess have been on our mind lately, Clint, that we wanted to share, um, and I'm not sure where we take this from here, but one of them was, uh, I, I don't want to put it down, the, the, the move towards agile processes within learning design. This is certainly a trend in Australia. I imagine it's a trend around the world. Have you you've seen this as well, Clint? Or oh, oh, definitely. We we see it through. I mean, we see it as agile learning through successive approximation model through mm. Llama. Yeah, yep. so it's, it's it's definitely here as well. Yeah, and and there's and it has great merit too. But um, we've I guess the um, maybe the cynical side or why we thought oh that could be a strip is there is an element at times of everybody using the word agile and I, I guess I called it quasi agile and I'm not sure yeah I just thought as a topic it, it can be quite um, quite hard and challenging to work in from a learning design point of view uh, with different stakeholders I guess and their understanding potentially of what working agile is or working within the SAM model etc. Yeah, so I guess that's not a punchline. The second, yeah, I had a yeah. few, I had a few images kind of crop up yeah. because I think it is about you know it, it it is a sh about having a shared understanding of what that way of working means, and if that's not really clear between all parties, it doesn't yeah it doesn't go as smoothly as we'd all like. What does well, that look like? What okay. does what, what sort of the conflict that occurs? I had a few visual images. Uh, one of them was um, we're so. What, what does agile mean? That means uh, I'm able to bend over quite far backwards and, and touch the ground, <laughs> a bit like a yogi. <laughs> um, it also means that um, I can, you know, when I hear jump, I can jump pretty high pretty quickly. Mm. So there were a couple of images that came to mind. It was sort of athletic type yogic images. Um, Oh, so like agile, yeah. agile learning design. Well, yeah, like physically agile. So yeah, yeah, yeah. this is sort of like how that you kind of work together, that you're kind mm. of really flexible, that you kind of can jump, mm. you, you can sort of move really quickly. Yeah. I see the skateboard and the Ferrari. Yeah. So I've, I have had that kind of brief around let's get agile and from a product release point of view and maybe more in line with, say, a, a SAM sort of model where you, you, you are releasing smaller bytes of the overall solution and it's about the speed to those quality bytes mm. from a savvy sort of start where you spend a lot of time in co-design. 
So great concept. Mm. And then the client at times can be saying, we are happy with a skateboard. And it, maybe this is a good example with a kind of a, a vendor wanting to work with in that. When you deliver a skateboard, no, they always want a Mazda. Nobody likes the skateboard. <laughs> so the brief is we don't need a Ferrari. We've got to move quick. 80% is good enough. You know, call it a skateboard. Yeah. Anyway, so, I don't know. And then at the punchline clean is like, where's the Mazda? Where's the Ferrari? I don't, I don't know. I'm making notes as we, we go here. So one of the things that happens as, as I write these comics is sometimes I've got an idea and I, I start flushing it out like we are right now. And I wind up with two other comics, not the comic I was trying to write, mm. but the, the comic that was asking to be written. Mm. And when you give the skateboard and the Ferrari example, um, I was bouncing that around in my head a, a, a couple of times and a really easy place to take that night. I, I actually need to write five before I go on vacation tomorrow. Um, so I, I, if it's okay, I might use this. Please do. Is, is you get the L&D team talking about the importance of putting together a really great uh, uh, learning product for a particular team and they, they pitch it and they sell it and they throw the Ferrari up on the PowerPoint and it's amazing and everyone's excited. And then as they go through the design process and deliver the final product, they, they deliver the skateboard. So it's you know, that, that over-promise, under-deliver sort of scenario that occurs sometimes. I, I um, love that. L&D is, is guilty of that all the time. <laughs> Mate, I, I've got to say that our second idea was that. <laughs> and I'll explain that one is that... We have this sometimes, when, when things don't go as well as we want, we have this sort of disheartening thing where when we kick something off, there's so much love in the room uh, between all the stakeholders, the learning designers, the, uh, you know, creative director. We're all bouncing ideas. We're going to make this thing amazing. We're going to really test skills well through some cool games that are just totally make sense to use. It's all very exciting. And then when you get the storyboard for review, sometimes, sadly, you just you read it and it's just the same sheet of music that you've seen many times. Um, and it's that, you know. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I think that actually. It is. It is. Because you're kind of like we go yeah. from, once again, it seems like for me a common thing coming up. The, the difference yeah. between our aspirations and our dreams, and, and that which are obviously all at the front at the start. Mm. And then as you go further along in the production design and production process, certain things and certain decisions mean that, you know, certain things might need to be left or, you mm. know, the, the kind of big time big, pressure, yeah, time, all yeah. sorts of conditions can mean that those sort of lofty aspirations um, can end up being not, not met to the, to the level that you'd hoped. So yeah, you end up with the skateboard. <laughs> I don't think that happens to me. Yeah, the, the constraints, this constraints of real life um, That's right, yeah. become part of the project when you actually start doing the work. Exactly, yeah. It's the constraints. It's not necessarily always anybody's fault, but it's the realities of sometimes the deployment, technology capabilities. You know, we, we're working with um, LMSs, a lot of LMSs where we're we need to design training that's that's going to be um, deployed on mobile. The LMS has an app version and the app version just doesn't play nicely at all. So all yeah. of this stuff that works really right. well normally, you get it on the app and nothing's working very well. So we've yeah. got to like simplify everything down. And, yeah. So, yeah, well, we do it example. in HTML, exactly. but then you've yeah. got the whole budget side that's of right. yeah. uh, doing more innovative work. 
I don't know right. if that's, you know, I, I think we've got, I think we've got a concept there anyway, Clinton, if it is worth exploring, we'd love to see that, um, that Ferrari come through. Mate. Oh, I'm going to write it. I'm, I'm, I'm writing that one. I, I'm already pondering in my head how the, the lines will play out to, to make that work, but yeah. um, it'll, it'll, it'll come out between 86 to 90 and I'll let you know. Uh, oh, when brilliant. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Well, it's, I think we're just about done. It, from a time point of view, I, I could keep chatting, Clint. I've really enjoyed this talk, as I hope you have too. Absolutely. For those listening, if they want to catch up with you, Clint, I imagine a great way would be through LinkedIn. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and I, I got on it early, so the, the vanity URL, um, I am in slash Clint Clarkson. So there's Beautiful. nothing fancy about it. We'll pop that on our um, on our blog and also on the Podbean Podbean podcast site, and you, you'll be able to link to that from iTunes as well. Yeah, I guess. Look, we're looking forward to the book, mate. I guess you can't tell us too much more about that or, or both books, but um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see it. And I, I sort of hope that there's some great quotes from uh, perhaps all the different posts and commentary that you've seen from your comics too, because I, I think they're the, they're the things that are sort of that that sneaky uh, change agent or the mm. Trojan horse that gets people thinking. Mm. Um, the cut through from your comics is just fantastic, mate. Yeah, fantastic. And, and I, I want to say that of, of this particular podcast, I love that reference, the Trojan horse. Um, I, I had never thought of it that way, but really that's what these comics have become. They've become sort of this sneaky way to start a discussion without people sometimes, I think even knowing they're in the discussion and all of a sudden they're a part of it because they've you know emotionally connected in some cases with, with the characters inside these comics. And uh, it's created for a, a really fun experience for me. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, great work, Clint. Well, thanks again for your time, Clint. Thank you so much. I'm, I, it's and exciting I look, to have, I feel like I've been to Australia now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, mate, make sure you look us up when you come over. We'll, we'll come and see you. It'd be great. I'm quite inspired to have a go at writing a, a very low fidelity comic myself and I'll add the LinkedIn challenge to our blog site as well. So if anybody else listening would like to have a, a crack at drawing a comic, yeah. The last book I published was called Rectangle Rex and it was just full of shapes. <laughs> it's the only book I've published and it was, there's only one copy of it because I made it. <laughs> <laughs> so I might do some drawings, but they are just going to be shapes. Well, stick figures. Uh, there's nothing. Low fidelity right, is, is fantastic. good. I'm up for the challenge. Thanks again, Clint. No problem. And I'll, I'll add this onto the LinkedIn challenge. Uh, if anyone wants to write a comic and they just want to use stick figures, uh, if, if the content is good, if the topic is good, I'll take those stick figures and turn them into comics in, in the series. So, um, it doesn't need to be super well drawn. It could just be a concept. If, if they're good, we'll pull them right in and make them part of the whole thing. Great. That's fantastic. What a Sounds challenge. really good. We'll talk soon. Thanks again, Clint. Excellent. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Bye. See ya.